According to the superscription of Psalm 30, it is a Psalm of David written for the dedication of the house. The title refers to David's dedication of the tabernacle after his numbering of the people. 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Verse 7 and 8. God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Verse 13 and 14. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. Seventy thousand men of Israel fell. David references the events of 1 Chronicles 21 in here in Psalm 30, verses 6 and 7. Following his repentance and God's judgment, David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and set it in the tabernacle. 2 Samuel 6, 17. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. 1 Chronicles 21, 26. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. 1 Chronicles 22, 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offerings for Israel. And so out of David's experience of his sin, of his repentance, of God's judgment, and then of restoring the ark to the tabernacle, he pens Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is a song of deliverance and dedication. A song of deliverance and dedication. God chastened David because of his sin. After repenting, David praised God that his anger was temporary and his favor is forever. So as we look at Psalm 30, a song of deliverance and dedication, we're going to begin with verses 1 through 3 and see gratitude for deliverance. David's gratitude for deliverance. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive, that I would not go down to the pit. David begins here by praising God. To extol means to exalt or to raise up. David is lifting God up because God has lifted him up. Now, we know that God is already lifted up. He's already high and exalted. But David is lifting him up in his thoughts and his praise. Is God lifted up in your thoughts? Is God at the top of your thinking? Is he on the the tip of your tongue ready to praise him? Now, David's worship here is in response to God's bringing him back from the door of death. David's foes have now been silenced. You see, David became ill, he became sick, and his enemies, those within and without believed that God was judging David. God's wrath was, was against David's sin. And while that was true, when God healed him, when God's healing was given to David, the enemy's joy was gone. All of a sudden, they're scratching their head and think, wait a minute, 
God brought his wrath upon David because David sinned. But now David's healed. How could God, why would God do this? They obviously didn't fully understand repentance and forgiveness. David has a twofold reason for praising the Lord. One, he's been healed. But two, his enemies have been confounded. His enemies have been confounded. Now in verse 2, David is lifted up. God was lifted up in verse 1. Verse 2, David is lifted up because he cried out to Yahweh and was healed. Notice the personal address, O Lord my God. Notice the intimacy that David comes with, uh, with to the Lord. It's a cry for help to my God. When you pray, who do you pray to? Do you pray to a God, some God, or do you pray to your God? Ask yourself, consider that as you go to prayer. Who it is that you are praying to? Is there intimacy in your prayer? Now, as a result of his cry for help, David experiences God's healing. He knows, as did Moses, that the Lord is his healer. Reference that sometime to Exodus 15, 26. It is through prayer that David has experienced God's power of healing. Jesus healed those who cried out to him in faith. David cried out to God and he was healed. Even so, while, there, while the gift of healing is not in use today, I can't go up to anybody, lay my hands on them and heal them. That just doesn't happen. That gift has ceased. But in James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it does exhort uh, us as believers that if there is anyone sick, that they're to call for the elders of the church. That's the pastors, the deacons, the deaconesses. Call for them and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of, the, of faith will save the sick. In other words, while again, while we don't have the gift of healing today, we do have a responsibility that if someone says, would you come and pray for me, to, that the leaders, the elders of the church would come and gather and have prayer over that person. And the idea is that they would be praying for that person to be healed. Now, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that God will heal them because certainly we need to pray for God's will to be done. But it's a demonstration on the part of the ill person, on the part of that one who is sick. They're demonstrating faith that they believe that God can indeed heal them. And oftentimes God will. Okay, But you know we can't lock ourselves into a box and think, well, I prayed so God's, now re God's responsible to heal me. Okay, God is responsible to do His will. If, if in His will He chooses to heal, heal you, great. If he chooses to heal you by calling you into his presence, so much greater is that. Verse 3, God's healing brought David from the brink of death. He was literally on death's door. The word uh, there we have for Sheol. Uh, he was there at uh, ready to go down into the pit. Not only the grave, but going to the place of the dead. Uh, Sheol, or Hades, uh, the place where both hell and Abraham's bosom were both located. And uh, he was about to go there. And he says, if I go there, it's a place of silence. It's a place of darkness. I can't have fellowship with God there. And again, understanding, you know, what Sheol was all about. You know, while he's here on earth, he, he can praise God in the presence of his enemies. And he can praise God in the presence of God's people. But if he's, if he's in Sheol, he can't do that. And so he's praising God that the grave was not his end. Now verse 4 through 5 brings us David's grounds for praise, his grounds for praise. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, that would be saints. 
Give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. We be made last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Notice his testimony here is, God healed me. And I'm praising God because of that. And he says, I want you to join me in worshiping God together. Now, I pointed out that word godly ones, or sometimes translated as saints. The word here refers to someone who is kind or someone who is pious. He's talking to religious people and the people who worship God. He's calling on worshipers to gather together to praise God. Now, notice what their focus is. Their focus is not to be on David's healing. Their focus is to be on God, on his holy name, and on his holiness. They're to focus on what God does because of who he is. So when we praise God, what are we actually doing? Are we actually lifting God up for who he is? Or is more of our attention on the person? I mean, certainly, as, as God does interact and, and God answers prayer, we certainly, you know, praise the Lord. But I think many times we're more exalting the person. Oh, so-and-so, you know, did this. Praise the Lord. We're tacking praise the Lord on as if somehow that, you know, uh, just we've got to be very careful that we're not elevating the person, okay? You know, if we said, hey, listen, uh, you know, we were praying for so-and-so, God healed them. Praise God for his healing power. That's the way it needs to be done. We've got to take the emphasis off of the person and put the emphasis back on God. Otherwise, all we're doing is still elevating the person. Okay? You know, oh, we, 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 we prayed for so-and-so uh, to uh, get this job. Hey, so-and-so got a job. Praise the Lord. No. Hey, God provided a job to so-and-so. Praise the Lord for his provision. So we really need to work at developing how we rightly praise God. That praise to God isn't just something we're tacking on the end to make it sound spiritual, but that instead we're taking the focus off of the person and onto God and his power. As David continues here, he says his anger is but for a moment. You know, the point of God's wrath is to lead us to repentance. God disciplines those whom he loves. Why? So they'll repent and turn back to him. His favor is for life. Forward favor means his goodwill. His acceptable favor, his acceptable will for us is for life. And again, notice the parallel phrase, weeping is bliss for the night. In other words, God doesn't intend our discipline uh, to be forever, but to be temporary, to lead us to repentance, so that when the morning comes, we can rejoice and be glad. Verse 6 and 7. Now David receives grace for self-confidence. Verse 6 and 7. Grace for self-confidence. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. Oh, Lord, by your favor, you made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. David's reflecting here on his past. Now, in my prosperity, I said I'll never be moved. He was presumptuous. My mountain will last forever. He was self-sufficient. Even though, even though, listen very carefully, he attributed his strength to God's favor. You know, how often... 
Do we see people, maybe even ourselves, claim that our prosperity, our blessing, proves that God is good? Oh, see, God is good because he's blessed me with this. God is good because he's done this for me. And, you know, what we're really doing is we're talking about our prosperity. And in, in essence, we're saying, oh, man, I, you know, I can't be touched. Yeah, listen, don't be that rich fool who built bigger barns and said to himself, hey, take your easy, drink and be merry. Because that very night, God called on that fool and required his soul. See, as David was being presumptuous, God did what? Hid his face from him. And he was troubled. God turned away his wrath. But he experienced some divine displeasure. So much so that David was troubled. He was dismayed. He was terrified. As to God's silence. You know, we cannot rest on our laurels. We can't look around and say, you know, oh, look, we have this and we have that thing and, we, you know, God has given us this, God has given us that. You're just, you know, all you're doing is resting on your prosperity. You need to look beyond that stuff and say, what does God want from me? What, do, what is God saying? Because you know what? You, could, you can be the apple of God's eye. You could be the object of his blessing and lose everything. Look at Job. Job was the apple of God's eye, and yet he lost his friends, he lost his family, he lost his fortune in, in, in mere minutes. And yet he was still the object of God's favor, still the object of God's blessing. So stop being presumptuous. Stop, stop thinking that because you have this or have that, you're somehow blessed by God. You know, we've, we've got to get beyond seeing these physical things as blessings. I mean, they could be. But you know what? Why don't we take more time to focus on the spiritual blessings that we've been given? Okay. And then praise God for those things. Notice David's guidance through prayer, verses 8 to 10. To you, O Lord, I called. And to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me, O Lord, be my helper. Now David's responding to these new circumstances he finds himself in. He's crying out to the Lord, makes supplication. David's sick. David's experiencing God's wrath. And he's telling God that in death, if I go down to the pit, I cannot declare your truth. Now, certainly David didn't have the full revelation of eternal life. But what he said is true. If he was to die, he could not worship or witness of God in this world. And that was reason enough to spare David's life. What's David doing here? He's bargaining with God for healing. How often, when you pray, are you tempted to offer all kinds of reasons why God should intervene? We need to be very careful. Be very careful about bargaining with God. That's why I said that's your ABA and your ABN. Don't write checks you can't cash. Because God heals us, not because we bartered with him. He heals us simply according to his will and our faith. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6 says, He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of what? Their unbelief. Only a few got healed. Why? Because of unbelief. Listen, you don't have to barter with God. You simply have to submit to his will and show yourself faithful to him. After the argument, there is simply a cry. Hear, O Lord, have mercy on me, be my helper. 
This is what God really wants to hear from us. God doesn't want to hear us bargaining with him for this, that, or the other thing. He simply wants us to ask for help, ask for mercy. Mark 10, 47, Bartimaeus cried out, that blind man, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's what we ought to be praying for. And then finally, in verses 11 and 12, we see David's gladness for sorrow. You've turned for me to, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosened my sackcloth and girdled me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. In an abrupt transition here, he shifts back to the joy of verses 1 through 3. He's remembered his illness. He's remembered God's healing. He's rejoiced in what God has done. And he's contrasting here his mourning and his sackcloth. Sackcloth was what people would put on to uh, show the, the, uh, the, the, their, their repentant state. He's taken, he, he stopped mourning. He's taken off his sackcloth. And instead, he's now dancing and girded about with gladness. He's experiencing what? Joy. True joy. And as he dances, he also sings, giving praise and glory to God. Notice his praise is everlasting, it's forever. Every deliverance that you and I experience should prompt us to a full expression of praise to God. Let's praise God for his deliverance and let's dedicate ourselves to giving God the praise that he deserves. Father God in heaven, Lord, we just want to offer you that praise. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you do for us. Father, if you've delivered us from some illness, we thank you that you're the great physician. If, if you've provided for us in some area, we thank you that you're the great provider. Lord, if you've given us an answer to a prayer or given us wisdom, we thank you for being the source of all wisdom. Whatever the issue may be, Lord, help us to take the attention off of ourselves, off of one another, and put the attention on you and where it belongs. Help us to that end so that you get all the grace and glory that you deserve. I thank you, Father, that you do bring chastening into our lives because you love us. I thank you, Lord, that the chastening isn't because you're unfair or unjust, but because you want to bring us to repentance. I thank you, Father, that when repentance comes, your forgiveness follows. And, Father, that when you forgive us, you restore us back to service. Thank you for being a merciful God who shows grace, who shows mercy at all time. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.